everything starts with the people and everything starts from the back of the house. First thing that I do when I get to a property is the back of the house. I don't, I don't start leading the property in the front until my back of the house is organized. I have always done it the same, always. Back of the house is, I mean, is the way how, I mean, is what evokes luxury, you know? So you cannot serve your clients if your back of the house is a mess. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to have my friend, Javier Veneto, the Regional General Manager for the UK of Como Hotels and Resorts. Javier, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you very much, Steve. Thank you for having me. Well, Javier, we always jump right in on this show. What was your first job in hospitality? Well, uh, my first job was as a waiter. I didn't have any previous experience or my family doesn't own a restaurant or a hotel. So I started uh, quite fresh uh, at the age of 18. I studied hospitality management in Palma de Mallorca in one of the Balearic Islands in Spain. So as soon as uh, we finished lesson number one or number two and I knew how to carry a couple of dishes on my hands, then I, I raised my hand for me to, to, uh, to work as an extra in hotels and restaurants. And that was my first job as a waiter. Wow. And so where was this? Because set the scene for your first job. Was it at a fancy hotel? Was it a regular common hotel? What was it looking like for you? Well, I mean, it has a bit of a story to it because I joined like a ATT uh, agency for me to, to get calls. So obviously I just, uh, I just got a call after a week. I was like, look, uh, they need some, uh, some people in this hotel, and it was a very fancy hotel. I remember uh, Castillo Hotel Sombida is a luxury, San Regis, blah, blah, blah. And, and because it's up on a hill in Mallorca, at that time I didn't have a car or anything, so I needed to take the bus, take the, uh, going through the bus, and then I stop at the very fancy residential, and then I needed to walk in, and I appeared to be in the clubhouse at a restaurant. And then I just walk in, and I... I, I was saying, oh, sorry, I'm just looking for Mr. and Mrs. So. He's like, sorry, that's in the hotel, so you just need to go out. And then at that time, the director of F&B just was crossing by, and I said, hold on a second, hold on a second, where are you going? And I was, of course, being dressed with a bow tie and everything. Like, well, I just need to go and, uh, and work at the hotel, but I think I'm in the wrong place. 
let me, I will drive you. So then uh, on the drive, which he was like 10 minutes, then he was asking for my interest and everything. I was telling him, look, I'm studying hospitality, et cetera. So he asked for my cell phone. So I did, the, I did that night in the hotel and a few other weekends with them. But ever since for the first year, I was working Friday, Saturday, Sunday at the clubhouse for the golf course that it was in, in that area. So that's how I ended up in that location. So yeah, I was quite, uh, quite a story. And did you fall in love with it there? Or were you like, man, I don't know if I, this is for me? Or how did you experience your first time working? Well, I think that yes, because I'm a very people person. So obviously try to be in front of uh, guests constantly. And then obviously in the clubhouse with uh, uh, the people after just finishing their golf uh, course and everything, it was always fun. And obviously it was a fancy place, which I, at that time I really enjoyed. I mean, after 23, 24 years, perhaps you a little bit tired of seeing all that is seen. But mm -hmm. at that time, you were quite, was quite fascinating about it. So I, I think that I fell in love with that at that time. Yes, uh, you were meeting people from, from all over the world and uh, it was giving you exposure. And then it was the perfect complement for my hospitality career during the week. So, yeah. So you study for it. You're going to school for hospitality. And once you graduate, do you have a job right away or are you looking for work? Well, the first two years was in Palma de Mallorca. And at the same time, uh, I was working Monday to Friday in a different place. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday in this clubhouse. Then the third year I went to Germany where I did my internship. And then at the time before going to Germany, I already applied for the summer job in a Spanish hotel chain. So I, be, I was working during my whole four years of hospitality school. So I was doing my studies and then at the same time I was, I was working. And the summer job that I was able to lock on my third year, uh, it was a company that they were opening a hotel in the Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, they told me after my summer is like, look, we know that you have one more year. We really want you to finish. But after you finish, please give us a call uh, because we may have something for you. So I continue working. I was doing my catering uh, with my colleagues in university and more stories, but then uh, when I was about to finish, then I just, I just told them, look, I'm ready. I just finished my degree. So what do you have for me? I said, look, we have an assistant GM position in the Dominican Republic. Do you want to go? And I said, yeah. So I went to the Dominican Republic and I was 22 at a time. So what was that like? Because you grew up in Spain, you went to Germany for internship, and now you're in Dominican Republic in the Caribbean. Was that a culture shock for you or were you used to it because you had already been there? What was it like now living there? It was certainly a cultural shock because I was never been there. And again, it was my first, I will say, sort of management. I mean, as you can imagine, with all-inclusive resource, it was a 816-room hotel, like two hotels combined, seven restaurants or eight restaurants, casino, bars, etc. So it was, if you allow me, it was the perfect place for a young person in love with hospitality to make sure that you can make certain mistakes, you know, that perhaps in a in a city hotel or in different type of uh, hotels you cannot make, you know, uh, and also at that young age. And again, we're talking 20 odd years ago. So is the hospitality has changed slightly and it was the perfect place for me to be there. And I was there for two and a half years and uh, the GM had a couple of assistants and a deputy hotel manager. So it was, it was part of a very young group of people that they were, were, were there and we had a, we had a great time. And what was it like being such a young leader? Because I remember myself being a young leader. I was not very good. And I was managing grown men and women. Did you feel that way sometimes? Or was it like, all right, I got the hang of this here? 
No, I think that I think that it was per, perhaps the the learning curve. I mean, obviously, my GM at the time, Fusaldi, passed away a few years back. Uh, he was a good leader, and then he was he was telling us obviously to all the young generation that, of people that we were there because he was a very very young group of of talent that we need to gain the respect from the locals, and that's how we did it. I mean, we immerse in the local culture quite a lot, and then uh, I think that it was they knew that obviously. You cannot be, yes, the title was assistant GM, and obviously, yes, you have the head of departments reporting to you. In my case, perhaps it was slightly easier because it was not just that I came out of university just fresh with no experience. I had four years mm-hmm. of managing uh, people already. I mean, the first year, yes, I was a waiter and I was doing I was doing uh, all sorts of different type of events. But on my second year, I already went a little bit ahead of the game and because I knew that it was a big wedding business in Palma de Mallorca. I was already recruiting the, the freshers from year one and I was taking them like a group of waiters. So I was the one being hired to cater some, some weddings. So obviously it, 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 was, it was good for me. It was not difficult, but perhaps it's because of my character because I'm a very people's person. Mm-hmm. And I think that I blend in with the locals quite, quite okay. That's great to hear. So you make a change. You go from the warm tropical breezes of the Caribbean and head to the freezing cold of Ontario, Canada. How does that happen? How do you make this change going from the Caribbean up to Canada? Well, at that time, uh, the move was based uh, on a relationship. So, uh, oh, so that, that was love. The, okay, yeah, now it makes exactly. sense. <laughs> and then uh, we had uh, one big tour operator that hosted uh, an incentive group in the um, in the hotel, and they told me, "Look, if you ever want to to come to Canada, just give us a call." Well, I give them I give them a call, and then uh, and then they were able to sort out my visa and everything. They found work for me, so I was working at a as a director of social sales and FMB at the at the Missouri Convention Center, and then part time I was working as a recruiter. But when I was when I was aiming for me to go to Canada, obviously I was I was sending my CVs to recruitment firms mm-hmm. until one recruitment firm told me why you don't move to Canada. And then you can help us with the recruitment for the Latin American market. So I was in charge of Spain, uh, Italy, and Latin America. And that, I was working that part-time. So I only decided to take that job when I had a full-time because obviously as a consultant, obviously you work in your, I mean, you know, you work pro bono, et cetera. So um, yep. until you make the placement. So it was a bit of a risk move. And then um, I decided to go there and I was in Canada for about three years. And once again, Long hours, it was Monday to Friday working at the part-time at the consultancy firm. And then Tuesday to Saturday, working as a director of social sales and FMB with the convention center. So that was, again, quite intense, working six six days a week. And uh, it was a fantastic, fantastic opportunity. I mean, Canadians are so welcoming for immigrants. I mean, I had a great time. So what was it like learning sales coming from operations, was it easy to transition to? Because I like that part of your your journey of where you're learning to sell and you're just a people person. You're always a natural salesman, it looks like. So, I mean, as a GM, you need to you need to be constantly selling. And I think that I always had it in me. I didn't want to, to sound, uh, uh, to sound uh, how to say, I'm not sure, but it just as a GM, you just have it. You just need to be a salesman. So for the people that they're listening, certainly you just need to, to make sure that uh, you like people, you need to like to interact with people. And at the end of the day, selling a room is the same thing as selling a banquet facility, you know? And perhaps because of my people skills, once again, and perhaps the languages, I, I was able to, to be quite fluent. And then obviously, I mean, I, I interact quite a bit with, with, with the chef. 
So mm-hmm. uh, within the first few months, then they developed the position as an FMB as well. And I was able to, to bring the knowledge from a, from a resort operation into a banquet facility, which at that time, it was a family-run business that they didn't know much about doing X, Y, or Z, you know? So I was, I was able to help them also. So you're recruiting too, like you, you took an interesting journey. A lot of people always think like, especially when you're starting out, they have to follow a certain kind of career path, but you did sales and recruiting at the same time. Is there any advice you would give to somebody if they maybe are going somewhere for love or they're trying something different? Any advice you would give to somebody like that? Well, I think that at the end of the day, people that are working hospitality, I think that they have, uh, they need to wear multiple hats. Mm-hmm. And I think that unless you are very, very sure that, for example, I mean, people that they work in revenue, they know they like numbers and they want to grow within revenue, you know, but if, they, if some people, I mean, they're not sure if they like sales or they like operations, certainly they just need to try it, you know, and unless they try for a couple of years and it's not just to try for a couple of months. No, I mean, in order for you to know if you like certain role, you just need to, to breathe it. You need to sink it in and you need to actually, I mean, Take it for a take it for a spin for more than uh, just a few months. I mean, you know, with the new generations, I mean, perhaps they get a little bit fed up too quick, too quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I look at myself and I I think that I'm an uh, an old person already, but I'm not that that old. I mean, before the people they used to stick in the positions for quite some time, you know. So you need to make sure to give more than just three or four months to see if you're adding value or not, because at the beginning it's all about absorbing, and then. Uh, little by little, you will be able to see how you can add value to the position. You know, you got, you, it's impossible for you to know if you like certain role within the first two, three months. True. Yeah, you're just starting to learn how to do it. Yeah, exactly. So unless that they know, uh, look, you know what? I really like numbers. I really know. Uh, I really like my, my maths algorithms there. Certainly, you go to revenue and most likely you're going to be an excellent revenue manager for one property, two, three and a cluster, you know, but if you're not sure, if you're, for example, if you don't like to be so long in the office, if you like to walk around constantly, if you have a little bit of ADD, mm-hmm. most likely you like to be in operations or most likely you're in F&B. Yeah. That sounds like me. Yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> so, uh, so, and then, uh, and then yes. And also there's not a true or a right way or wrong way to, for you to become a GM. You know, I, I grow within F&B, uh, and my, and my strength is F&B. But there's other people that they grow through rooms and it's equally as good. You know, the people that they grow through rooms, perhaps they have a, a more straightforward vision and the people from FMB, perhaps they're a bit more creative, you know. So it's not right or wrong. You just need to make sure that you fall in love with what the years ahead that you're going to have because you're not just finish university and they're going to give you an HOD position. You know, you just need to really work hard to do it. I remember that in my, in my time in Germany, uh, when I was doing my internship, I was doing breakfast prep. So I was waking up at 5.30 in the morning. I was finishing at 2.30. And it took me a month and a half to convince the GM at the time for a big brand hotel that I really wanted to work from 2.30 until 6.30. For me, to, it's like, no, you cannot. It's not legal. I was on his op- uh, in his office every single day until they allowed me to it. Okay, now you're going to be in FMB. You know? So if you really want to, I mean, you can certainly make it, but you just need to put the dedication on the hours for sure. That's true. And you see that a lot now coming through a lot more people want flexibility and we'll get back on your journey, but you kind of mentioned this as the younger generations coming in. How do you offer this flexibility to some people? Is it possible in hospitality or is it not possible in hospitality? Because 
I'm kind of like you, a little bit more of the old school, but we're not that old. There's no other whole generation that's old school that said we were not working as hard as them. So is that the same you see now? No, but I think that your generation, we're the same generation, Steve. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that I think that our older generation for GMs, I don't think, or I have not heard from people that we were not working as hard because you were finishing a job and most likely you were doing, you were going to another, to another gig somewhere else. You know, that's you, that's me. I think that right now, nowadays, I understand that people uh, value their freedom, but if you want a Monday to Friday job, then go into revenue. Go into something that you can close the computer more or less, more or less, unless that your GM is telling you what's happening with the price over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Turn it on or turn it off. Uh, but because if you're in operation, it's not Monday to Friday job. It's, it's a Monday to Sunday, and you need to understand that you need to devote quite a lot of your personal time because, and again, let's not let's not fool them. I mean, you're going to work Christmas, summer, and the special uh, and the special times when the people don't want to work, but they have a lot of pluses. You can uh, travel off season. I mean, most likely the fun time to work at hotels is when the hotels are full, no, no half empty. Mm-hmm. So it's just as you said. You need. I think that you nailed it. I think that when you said when you fall in love for a department or for a career path, they need to know if they have fallen in love with it. If they sort of like it, then I will advise them for them not to go through because it's very, it's quite sacrificed this work. You know, if you sort of like it. Perhaps not, but if you're really passionate about it, then certainly you should do it because you will succeed for sure. I think that's great advice for anybody listening. You should rewind that for the last 30 seconds and and take that back in. But now, listen, back on your journey, Javier, you make a pit stop at a hotel, which I I don't know if you want to cover or not, but I was going to jump to the next position you had as hotel manager at the Hotel Via Magna. And I think this is the first time you truly start leading hotels. Would I be correct in saying that? Yeah, you're correct. I mean, and probably this is the the place that uh, I keep closest to my heart uh, for many different reasons. Uh, because, as you said, this was my first uh, hotel manager position, and again, it was uh, at the time the best hotel in Spain. Well, when you were mentioning that you were managing much older people, I remember that I was I started as a director of operation, and then within a year promote to hotel manager. I was 27. And to set the scene, you're in Madrid. So you're in, one was of the, in, in the best hotel in Madrid, best hotel yeah. in Spain. Yeah, I was in Madrid and the hotel was just conducting a 50 million euro renovation. So they were ready for launching and they, uh, as an independent property. And I was 27 and the youngest head of the apartment closest to my age was 52. Amazing. So... Obviously, you can you can try to understand when uh, when I look back nearly 14, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, looking at this young uh, young fella coming from Canada that has done the Caribbean, etc., they were mm-hmm. looking at and who and you are, yeah. you know, and you mm-hmm. are. So obviously, I needed to sink in. I mean, I'm originally from Madrid, so for me, obviously, it was not a barrier in terms of language, but certainly it was a little a little bit of barrier in terms of like how to gain the respect from the people that they were in the in the hotel for so long and and in Spain the people they were at the hotel that was a that was a career you join them as a you join them as a butler and then you finish it in front desk i mean you started as a as a prep cook and you finish as a head chef you know so it was a career i mean people i still have friends over there that they after 47 years they're retiring right now you know so it's a it's a commitment, you know, which I truly admire. But I must say that after the first two, three months, my uh, 
how to say, I really blend in. I mean, the people were so welcoming to different ideas. Uh, they were so welcoming to a different approach of doing things. But I must say that I was the one for, during those three and a half years, I was the one that benefited more. Not that the hotel benefited from me. I was the one that benefited from the hotel. You know, I learned every day for me was a learning, uh, a, a lesson. I didn't want it to miss a single day of going to the hotel. I was going to the weddings. I was going to every single small event. I was always volunteering. I was always volunteering to go, you know? So uh, any MOD weekend, if no one could take it, I mean, I do it. You know, it was at that time. I mean, yes, it was a little bit of lack of personal life for different reasons. But uh, but that, I think that that gave me the strength to obviously to and to set me up for my for my next career move. You know, mm-hmm. I had I had my my mentor, which I consider up to today the person that I learned the most. I mean, I, I had. And who the is that? Of, what is that person's name? Uh, Mr. Costa Duarte. Okay. He was a fine gentleman. I mean, he was uh, from the owner side. He was the owner's representative, so he was coming from Portugal. Monday to Thursday. So I was doing my tours of the hotel at 7 a.m. every day uh, with him. Not a minute late. If you're not early, you're late. Uh, so extremely old-fashioned, but I think that I, I learned how tough the hospitality business was with him. And up to today, I have uh, daily conversations with him, daily. Like, he's my mentor. And I, uh, I really, really, truly admire what I learned from him because obviously it was a lot of service for the royals, he was very high-end guest, etc. So everything that I learned from the luxury uh, hospitality, it was from him and from the people working at that hotel. Because obviously, the hotels can have many stars uh, at the door, but at the end of the day, the people that make the difference is the staff, you know. And at that hotel, certainly the people make the huge, huge uh, difference. So yeah, that was uh, I, I have I have that experience very close to my heart. Nevertheless. Well- and what was something from that hotel that you still use today? Is there something, cause, you know, every time we were at a hotel, there's certain things we learn. Is there something from that hotel that you're like, ah, oh, I still use that from that hotel? In, in, any of the things that I learned about the etiquette in how to do proper in-room dining, amenities, uh, writing the cards properly to, to the different seniority in the, in the social hierarchy, I learned it from that hotel. That's interesting. I don't know anything about that world. What's the difference when you're writing to somebody in well, that it, world? Well, it, it depends how you address them. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, having having uh, having ambassadors, having uh, true. presidents, head of states. I mean, that hotel we had every other week a different head of state. You know, so obviously, in terms of security protocols, you learn a lot and uh, and how. I mean, in the entertainment business, I mean, we were handling eighty five percent of all the entertainment business at the time. So anytime a celebrity was coming to town, they were staying with us. So. It was a very busy hotel, with which, in terms of luxury, it was absolutely the the best uh, the best university I ever had. And as those people come through, you know, the first time you see them, it's like, wow, look, look who's here. After a while, did you get just used to it? Like, this is how it goes. This is who's coming, and every day is like this. Hundred percent. At the beginning, it was like, oh, okay, they're here, and I do really wanted to be there. Sometimes yeah. it was like, okay, another one, another yeah. one. So. <laughs> So no, no, at the beginning, obviously uh, you get impressed. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But then after you just see it as your normal routine, you know, that's true. So you were there, you're making a name for yourself. You're a young leader in Madrid, but then you make a big change and this is where our paths crossed. But I was curious how this change happened because this is a big one and you move to Miami beach and you are the opening general manager of the Como metropolitan, which was a big deal here in my hometown of Miami beach. 
How did that happen? Well, it was fate. I mean, I, I will I will rather don't 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 tell them the story because that's something very personal. But okay. I mean, I end up working for the for the family that I'm currently working, and uh, I really believe it was fate because again, at that time in Madrid, I was in my hometown with my girlfriend, which is my 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 wife, which I have three kids with, mm-hmm. and uh, I I was not looking to move. Let's be clear, I was not looking to move. I was at the best ho- at the best hotel. Gia probably was going to retire in a few years down the road. So the position mm-hmm. was pretty much mine, you know, if I continue to do what I was supposed to do. And, and obviously my, my aspirations at that time was that, that's it. You know, I made it, you know, I'm in my hometown. I'm in the best hotel with my, and that's it. That. So, but then the opportunity and the opportunity came for me to do another international um, experience. And it was obviously to go to the U S which. I think that is very rare that uh, at the age of 31, someone gets that responsibility. And I said, I think that it was, and I only told my family when the contract was signed. I didn't tell them before in order for them not to walk me out of the idea. Yeah. Because, uh, because obviously like, I mean, after so many years traveling, now you go back again. So I accepted the, the challenge. And then uh, I think that one of the motivators was first to go into the United States because I really wanted to, to work in the United States. Second, Miami, obviously, was not to like about Miami. And obviously, I was feeling quite comfortable because being a Spaniard, I mean, I was be able to get quite easy with the language. And mm-hmm. again, try to to push one of my fortes with the people that was very easy for me to sink in and to blend it in, in Miami. And then the, the fourth part was that it was a construction. So from the moment that the owners acquired the asset, that was involved in the construction from the, from the very beginning, setting up the construction uh, phase, et cetera, and being part of it. And then putting the um, putting the team together, and uh, it was challenging. You know Miami, so it was challenging. I'm not going to tell you that it was a breeze. Uh, right. Construction was challenging. Uh, uh, staff hiring was challenging. Which I imagine, if it was 2014, and now we're in 2023, I mean, imagine. I cannot imagine now. So, but before it was not easy either. And uh, we opened the property, and within the two and a half years that I was running the property over there. I can probably say that we're number one in TripAdvisor in the beach, consecutive, mm-hmm. no dropping, which I think that that was a major achievement. We set up a very, very, very strong team, which I still in contact with quite a, quite a number of them. And yeah, I was in Miami for four years and that's that property, I mean, again, I built it from scratch with, yes. uh, with a number of people. So obviously... I know every inch of that property. So yeah. that's, what, that's what I wanted to talk about. So you make the move and we'll keep why you moved personal, but you make the move here to Miami Beach and you're doing really your first general manager role, even though you were leading a fantastic hotel in Madrid and you had to build things from scratch. What's some advice you would give somebody when they get into that role for the first time? Because not only are you doing an opening, you got to build your team and you're in a city that you don't know. What advice would you give to somebody if they find themselves like that? I mean, perhaps what I'm going to say is not going to suit well with the HR specialist, but is follow your gut always. As a leader, follow your gut. I remember doing certain interviews and I remember, I mean, I cannot say the name, but if, if the person hears the podcast, it was my, uh, my, my IT manager. Uh, he walked into the office for an interview. It was the wrong candidate. All over, written all over the face, all over. The suit was wrong, the tie was wrong, the shirt was wrong, everything was wrong, but the attitude was 100% right. That person ended up staying in the role for eight years. And it's only because I follow my gut. It's like, mm-hmm. this is the person. And I knew just for the nonverbal language in the first five minutes that this is the guy. 
I couldn't care uh, if the suit is less iron, more, uh, he made it, you know? And also I remember right now, now you just brought me memories of one person that uh, he was a steward uh, working in the kitchen and he wanted to apply for another job into, into the hotel. And this is uh, people, as you know, in the stewarding in Miami, I mean, their commute is low. Normally, you know where the community are from. He went home just to, uh, he went home, he bought a suit to do the interview. He was doing an interview for, in the same hotel, just with me. He went home, bought a suit, come back and then apply for a supervisor position in, in, a, in a different department, you know? So at the end of the day, my advice to the, to the, to the ones that they're about to start, follow your gut instinct. Always, always. As a leader, I think, yes, I have made mistakes, but I think that if I need to put it in, into balance, I think that I have been right many more times than wrong. That's great advice. Now, I watched you there. So for listeners, I had my first company at that time where I was doing staffing recruiting, and I got to meet Javier. And I guess I made one of the good impressions because he allowed me to work with his team. And I used to watch you, and you had a certain style that I loved, and I think that a lot of people can learn from where you were in present in the lobby, your office overlooked the lobby. You even had a desk in the lobby. Now, I don't know if you still do that, but at that time it was very impressive because I watched you greet everybody. And for listeners, this was an, I would say ultra luxury 74 room hotel on Miami beach, but it's still something I have not seen maybe once other time that I'm seeing actually right now with another hotel. But is that something you were practicing or is that the style you said, I'm going to leave my imprint on this hotel. It's my hotel. How did that come about? Well, pretty much, I mean, in Madrid, I, I mean, again, the, the set on the stone was in Madrid because obviously I, I welcome quite a lot of uh, of the regulars over there. And I thought to myself that I need to do something completely different. And uh, that is why in that white desk that you might remember. In I the remember lobby, the white desk, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I was placing myself at least three or four hours during the day in the morning or some in the evening. I was writing my welcome cards and everything over there until... Uh, unfortunately, I left my laptop and uh, my laptop there and got stolen. And then, obviously, in my company they told me, Javier, you might you might want to to go upstairs in your office. And uh, but still, I, I I wanted to at least have a presence in the lobby because I think it make a, an impact in uh, with a lot of the hotel guests, which I still have contact with, and they keep reminding me like, Javier, you were the one welcoming us in the, in the lobby, you know. So they remember those things, you know. Here in London, I have the the desk at the lobby as well. But I, I will be lying to you and tell you that I that I'm sitting there every day because I'm not because bureaucracy gets in the in the way. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately gets in the way because if not, I would love to be sitting in the lobby. But um, other team members here in from my London property, they sit at that desk and they welcome the guests. You know, so but certainly it was as you said, it was just to make sure to leave a to leave a mark or a trademark for the for the property. Yeah. Oh, you can see that's why you were ranked number one for so long. Those little details, you know, yes, it takes time and effort, but I could see the difference. And I used to walk up and down Miami Beach when I had my company and I could see the difference in that hotel. You could feel the difference. And that's why I always was impressed with, with you, Javier. I think, I think that the team, uh, the, I mean, it was a very young team. Huh? At the time, it was a lot of criticism because, I mean, from, I mean, not from, my, I mean, the company were telling me, Javier, are you sure? It's like, just, just let me do it. Just let me do it. Let me try. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we, we prove them that uh, prove them wrong that uh, obviously to invest in young talent I mean the sense of urgency that they had it was the same as, as I had you know they were starving you know they didn't leave any inch of that property without looking you know they own every single guest mm -hmm. we see in the first year our repeated guest ratio if I'm not mistaken was 
in excess of 65% in the first year. People from New York and from the different parts of the US, they were coming three or four times just to visit us. Yeah, so, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. I miss it. I miss it being here. And for listeners, it's no longer here on the beach, but maybe I'll be here one day. We get another Como here in Miami. But you really make your mark there. And before we go continue on the journey, can you tell the listeners who may have not heard of the Coma Hotel brand, maybe like a 30 second, what is it? What is the Coma Hotel brand? Well, Como Hotels and Resources, are co I mean, like everyone will say about their own brand, it's a completely different brand. You know, we're, uh, I mean, it's very difficult to just, uh, to just describe it, but I will say that uh, we really care about the guest journey and, uh, and our owner is extremely present. Everything that you see, touch or smell in the properties it's been approved by her. So that gives you the, the level of detail uh, and how much she gets involved. You know, we're, uh, we're a, uh, a collection of hotels. I mean, we're, our growth is just organic. When I joined the company 11 years ago, uh, we had six properties. Right now we have 17. So it's just a matter of, of how we like to grow. We own and manage uh, most of our properties with exception of two. And uh, they're in hand-picked locations. Our, the well-being is, is the core of the business. I mean, uh, uh, we have been caring about the well-being for years and years and years. Our first property was 32 years ago in Belgravia, uh, Como de Halkin. And at that time, we were the ones putting yoga mats and yoga channels, etc. You know, So for us, well-being, eating well, and the work care is embodied in, in all of us. You know, it's a, I would say it's a, different, it's a different company completely. That's true. I actually went through your orientation when I was working with you all. And I remember thinking, wow, this is just very different at the time. It wasn't like that for many hotel companies, what you all were doing and continue to do. But your journey continues on. Still, no, and, and the company is still the same, you know, is 100% uh, owned by the family. And uh, so I, I only have amazing, th good, amazing things to say about it. So. so your journey continues. And I still remember the day that you told me that you were leaving and going to Bali of all places. And in my head, that's a whole different universe and different world. What was it like moving from Miami Beach to Bali? It was, I think that it was the right time for me after four years in Miami. I think that it was uh, when the opportunity came and uh, ownership approached me that they just bought another asset in Bali. In Bali, we have three properties. At the time we had two, so mine was going to be number three. And it was on the beach, on the most happening place, Changu, which is the surfer spot. They, they had a hotel and residences. And, and again, it was the same kind of setup as uh, in Miami. Construction was a little bit more ahead, but it was for me to lead the construction site and, and to open the property. And, and I, I took the challenge up. And I think that uh, Balinese are the most beautiful people, uh, how they are, how they behave, how they care. So, and my daughter was born in Bali. So wow. my, my, uh, when we decided to move, my wife was pregnant four months. And so she gave birth in Bali. And uh, I mean, I, I, I don't have enough words to describe the Balinese culture, how they are and how they care. For me, it was very, very easy once again to blend in. I mean, I, I tried to, to study the culture as much as possible, trying to get my, my basic basics of Bahasa language in place to at least to go to the market and try to negotiate mm -hmm. here and there. And for me to try to say two or three, uh, a few things to the, to the staff, you know, but it was, it was very good, very intense because uh, I was there for two and a half years. Mainly my role was to put together the pre-opening team to launch the property 
And then that's when I decided that perhaps I was a little bit far away from family. And obviously having my first child, I mean, and my grand and my parents make being a little bit older, you know, I didn't want them to prevent for them to see the little one. So then I said that uh, if possible and when available, I would like to move to, to Europe. And then obviously the, the owners hear my, my request and they asked me, please have you opened the property. And after that, we will, we'll see and said and done. So I opened the property and within four months, I already had my transfer to, to London. Wow. And, and I've been in London for the past five years. That's amazing. Before we jump to London, I want to learn just selfishly a little bit more about Bali myself because I've never been. So if somebody was going for the first time maybe to work there, what advice are you giving somebody? What is it like there when you're there for two years? Respect the culture to a level that obviously is not just like going to the U.S. It's not like just going to Canada. It's not like just going to the Dominican. I mean, the religious, uh, the religion for, for the Balinese are extremely important, extremely important. Like, for example, when you work or I work, we work for our allowance of holidays and we take two weeks here to go and travel. Their holiday allowance they take for their ceremonies, so to honor their their gods, to honor the people that they're not with us right now, mm -hmm. people that passed away. So they don't they don't put days together for them to travel. They put the, their holidays for them to go to their ceremonies in their temple because most most of the houses they have a they have a private temple, a small, big, mid size, but all of them they will have a, a temple. So I think that to embrace the local culture, respect with capital letters, the locals, because once again, you're not going there to conquer anything. You know, mm -hmm. you're just going there as a visitor because they're going to stay there and you will end up leaving sooner or later, you know? So I think that the main thing and my main advice, like with every new culture that you will go and start working, but the Balinese culture is so rich that certainly respect uh, their traditions. I will say respect their traditions, respect their ceremonies and try to understand that, uh, that uh, they might think different. So you just need to, to respect it. And that way, I think that you, but by, by doing that, I think that for sure you will get their respect because they're very hardworking people, very hardworking people. That's great advice for any culture, right? We For hoteliers, we travel so many different cultures and I know the ones that have not done well to try to stamp their culture on others. It doesn't seem to ever work. No, no. And, I, I, and it seems such a simple advice, right? We're mm -hmm. not going uh, to conquer anything or anyone, you know. We need to respect uh, what they have. It doesn't matter if it's Bali. It doesn't matter if it's the UK. It doesn't matter. You just need to be respectful, you know. But it seems that uh, sometimes when you go to remote islands or remote places, you want to leave a stamp, which in my opinion is completely wrong. There's many, many different ways how you can leave your stamp. You can leave your stamp by having a welcome desk and welcoming your guests. You can uh, leave your stamp by doing handwritten uh, cards to all your uh, Guest arriving, I know that it's painful, but I mean, if 10% if of your guests appreciate it, you just made it, trying to tailor made amenities, you know, not, not to try to copy paste, you know, it's many, many different ways for you to leave your stamp. Ah, I love that too. Great advice coming through here. So you get to London and this is, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, one of the premier properties of the Como brand. Yeah, this is the flagship for the, the uh, this one together with with Como Parrot King, the Turks and Caicos in terms of revenue generating. Yes, I mean, obviously all the properties are important in the portfolio for the positioning and how you can make the dual destination, Tuscany, Bhutan, Maldives, Bangkok, Thailand, Fiji Island, Australia. But in terms of revenue generating, yes, it's the, it's the flagship. And, and again, I, I was taking over uh, previous management, which was here for... 15 or 16 years 
and perhaps my approach is slightly different. Uh, and I've been here for five years. And I think that my first, uh, because I like to always be surrounded by construction, I yep. identify, I identify uh, uh, an opportunity and we were able to, to get funding for us to renovate the residences that we have on each side of the building. So that was the first project that I got, uh, that, that I got approved. So we have 19 ultra luxury residences in Park Lane. And then sadly the, the pandemic happened. You know, uh, I arrived in 2018, July, and then the pandemic happened in 2020. So obviously the following year and a half, we all know how hard it was for everybody. Mm -hmm. Again, I can only talk about the, the experience that I had. I mean, but obviously, I mean, the company was very good to, to, to as many employees as, as we possibly could. Here in, in London, the, the laws are very strict. And in case that you needed to, to let people go, you need to meet with them up to in four different occasions. So my hotel manager, HR, and myself, we lead probably near 657 meetings. Wow. Uh, mm -hmm. Because we didn't want to outsource that to any company. We wanted to do it ourselves. Uh, but again, we kept quite a, quite a number of people employed as well. And obviously trying to, trying to put a list together and try to help families uh, as, as much as we could. And then, and then the next project, it was the uplift of which was closed. And then we renovated as well for, for about uh, five, six months. And, and then aside from the Metropolitan, the Halkin and the residences, I look after a different asset, which is called Monarch House as well, which is a private set of apartments for our ownership. So, so I'm, I'm busy. You've got a lot going on, especially with ownership there. Are you the one suggesting some of these ideas for renovation or is this kind of a group effort? How does that start when you're doing it? You, you know, the, the, one of the good things about the company, once uh, once again, is that they cel they, cel uh, they celebrate personality. And uh, obviously, I mean, uh, it's something that uh, the company has a structure where you have different owners representative in different parts of the globe. And they have an owner's representative here in the UK. So obviously, you just bring it up, your ideas. And obviously, they're a consultant. And it makes sense. Obviously, they just take it on board. And then... Uh, so they really welcome uh, new initiatives. So it, it's not... It's a family company. It's a hierarchy, of course, like any other company, but uh, but it's still a family company, which does the beauty. Now, you've been a leader in major metropolitan cities in Madrid, Miami, and now London. Do you have to change your style in these cities, or is it you keep no. being you, and that's no. who it is? No, this is what it is. This is my style. I don't. I don't. Ad I adapt to the lo to the local culture, but my management style and my leadership that has not changed. Everything starts with the people, and everything starts from the back of the house. First thing that I do when I get to a property is the back of the house. I don't, I don't start leading the property in the front until my back of the house is organized. I have always done it the same, always. Back of the house is, I mean, is the way how, I mean, is what evokes luxury, you know? So you cannot serve your clients if your back of the house is a mess. So in, that's another tip of advice that I will, that I will tell uh, to, the young, to the young people studying hospitality. The most important part of the hotel is the back of the house. Your staff canteen, how the how your staff gets uh, fed, how the lockers, if they're clean, if they're not clean, if they have proper showers. So unless all of that is under control, I don't get into the front of the house. And that's a rule. I don't get in any strategic decision or anything until my back of the house is organized because I cannot think correctly. I mean, obviously my journey goes to the back of the house until I get to my office. If I'm going to see things that they're not properly organized, I cannot think, again, with my personality, doesn't work. So I have not changed my leadership style depending on the country. 
not at all. I have been the same. I think that's probably the most important piece of advice you've said today because you walk through so many hotels, at least I do, and I'm sure you still go visit some places and you're like, oh man, this is uh, not a good working condition for a lot of people. Yeah. Luxury service starts from the back of the house for everybody. What you don't want for you as a GM, you should not want that for your steward, uh, housekeeper, uh, waiter, commie, demi, like that. If you don't want to shower in the lockers down, uh, down in the basement, I'm sure that they don't want to. So you just need to look after that. I love it. I love this. I love it, Javier. So what are you most excited about? And I'm not looking for your five-year plan, but maybe in the next year, what are you most excited about with Como Hotels and Resorts? Well, I think that the company right now is taking a, is taking a, a deep breath in order for us to obviously to, to keep growing. But again, we're not, it's not going to be an exponential growth. I mean, we just uh, released one property uh, in France, uh, Como Le Montrachet, Burgundy, a very small property, about 30 rooms. So I think that the company is going to continue to grow in, in that segment, more boutique. Uh, uh, and then we're having another launch in Singapore, our, our hometown. So obviously where our head office is. So we're going to have a, another property in, Sing in Singapore, actually the first property in Singapore. So I think that the, the company is going to keep growing, uh, but a very moderate, uh, but a very moderate uh, speed. We're not going to have, 20 hotels in the next year or in the next five years. That's not going to happen. Well, you're building a beautiful brand of hotels, your company is. And then, look, I love them. I'm excited. My wife and I were just talking about going to London. So I'm going to call you before I go. We might be in, in the next you couple should. of months. We're planning it out. So I will let you know for sure. But my last question, Javier, you truly have been all over the globe and you've seen all different hotels and you've lived in beautiful locations. But if young Javier was showing up with his bow tie lost at your property in London and he was starting on your team today, what advice would you have for young Javier starting out today? To be yourself. Don't try to be an overachiever. Don't push yourself too much. I mean, when I look back right now in my career, and obviously now I have three kids, six years old, four years old, and one year old. I look back at my career. I started at 18 years old and I have not stopped ever since. I mean, knock wood. Thankfully, I have not stopped ever since. I think that perhaps uh, to have a little bit more of fun is, is okay. When I look back, I mean, perhaps I, I didn't need to work those four years of university at the speed that I work. But obviously, looking back, that's where, I, that's where it took me where I am today. You know, when I look at some colleagues, they, it took them longer mm -hmm. for them to, to, to achieve the positions they want. I will not change it, but if uh, the audience will like to read between the lines, I will not push my kids for them to, to work as hard as I did because there's no point. I still have 25 more years to keep working, you know? So I think that it's a balance. It's a balance. I mean, I think that the ambition is to have a balance and a healthy balance. But the most important part will be for them not to, not to try to please everyone. I, I, I become to the, to the idea that you cannot be popular. As a leader, you cannot be popular, you know? And perhaps I'm going to say something that I don't know if I should say or not, but if 100% of the people at the hotel like you, you're doing something very wrong, very wrong. If the mix, if the mix is 60-40, 70-30, you know what, you're doing, a, you're doing a good job, you know? So when they keep growing in the, in the scale, uh, in the rank file, I mean, it's okay. I mean, not everybody is going to like you. Don't don't punish yourself. You know, at the beginning of my career, I was thinking, oh my God, how is this possible? I'm trying to be as gentle as possible, gentle, caring. It's okay. You cannot fit with everybody. 
we are, we all have different backgrounds, different heritage. We come from different parts of the world. And as I always said to my team here, there's no there's no wrongs. Uh, there no there are no words wrongly say is wrongly interpreted. You know, I mean, we were here in London with 47 different nationalities, if I'm not mistaken, between 40 to 47 uh, different uh, nationalities for the staff. My advice is that they should not change who they are inside. You know, and they need to moderate their ambition. And always care and always care for the staff. Always care for the staff. I think that's a great place to end our conversation here today, Javier. You've been fantastic. Lots of great tips and advice for everyone here. If somebody wanted to connect with you, Javier, what's the best place for them to do that? They can do via email or LinkedIn. They can do in LinkedIn. Uh, they can see my profile and then I will be more than happy to, to reply. And once again, I, I take full ownership on that and I will do so. Well, Javier, I'm very grateful you shared this time with us. It means a lot to me, and I know our listeners definitely learned a lot. So thank you once again. Thank you, Steve. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.